Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Recovered from that worship? No, that's not the point. You're not supposed to. Um... We have the presentation. Whilst we're just waiting for the tech stuff to get sorted, um, it's been a good start to the year for, for quite a few of us. I'm hearing some testimonies coming in, people buying houses, people releasing books, um, people getting new jobs. That's what we like. Um, I thought you guys would be a little bit more excited about that, if I'm completely honest. If I was completely honest, I thought there'd be a little bit more joy. But may- maybe what it is, no, 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 it's cool. Maybe maybe what it is is maybe you're still waiting for your one. So maybe that's why it was, it was a tough for you to celebrate. But remember what we said, the word for testimony in the Hebrews, the word, I think it's Hebrews, A-Y-D-U-S-H, A-Y-D-U-S-H and it means do it again. Um and so every, every testimony that we hear, we come across, it's imperative that we realize it, it holds within itself the power to do it again. Okay, it's inherent in every testimony that's shared. Um, I have a question for you, and this is a starter. You know me, I'm a teacher, so by default, I like to have a little starter to my lessons. Um, saying that I do have uh, someone from my school, one of my students is in the building. I'm not going to embarrass him, but hey... Um, <laughs> But you can tell. Um, so I want you to get your phones out or your notebook, whatever it is, and I want you to write down what is the one thing you want to see in our worship in 2023. Now, members of the worship team, we've already done this exercise already two weeks ago on the prayer call. But what's the one thing you want to see in our worship? You may know it already. I'm going to give you about 52 seconds to come up with the answer. Whilst we do that, um, talking about forgiveness, I also forgive the Arsenal fans in the room (laughs) for last weekend. (laughs) Still working on that one. (laughs) I didn't get any texts like I usually do. There was so much compassion in the silence. There's compassion in the silence. What is the one thing you want to see in our worship? Let's get back on track. Um, perfect what is the one thing you want to see has anyone got any answers I'm going to put this out to the room hopefully we're a bit more engaged anyone want to share what's your one thing pastor you said that you had it real quick manifestation of God beautiful Miracles. miracles, beautiful miracles. Snap. Anyone else got miracles? Deliverance, boom. Anyone else on this side of the room? Signs and wonders. It's glory. Starting to get the spiritual <laughs> shivers down on my arms. What's that? I thought you said donuts. Did you say donuts? Listen. Yeah. All these things and more, I believe it's always important to to have a level of expectation when it comes to worship. Um, 
not always easy because I remember Simon Breaker years ago at Chosen, he said something to me over breakfast, it was so profound and it stuck with me all these years, how for many of us, especially if you've been around church for any length of time, um, worship for us can be very soulish in the sense that we rely on our emotions and our memories to construct moments that we believe to be of God. But we're really just dancing through our own memories of what that song means to me. For instance, Light of the World. We've probably sung that song 150,000 times. If you're in any sort of band in the past 20 years, you've played the song even more. Okay? And it's easy to just go through the motions of, oh, I remember what that song did to me the first time, or the last time, or the fifth time, or that conference I was at when this happened, or when Maurice Sorella did this, or Creflo Dollar did that. Or, you know, we have these memories that are evoked by these moments in worship, because worship is a very sensual experience in, in many ways. So it's very easy for us to just stay there. And it's a challenge every single week for us to move beyond that into the spiritual. And we're going to look at that today. Um, like I said last week, I feel like God is setting up these pillars. We started off with the sovereignty of the word when pastors preached on the first week back. Last week, Auntie Abby shared about intimacy with God. And I believe God was just putting these pillars in place so that we can build our year in the correct way. So it's apt in a way that we now go on to speak about worship because that is one of the foundations of this church. The sermon title is, as you might have seen, um, Divorce Papers. Okay, Divorce Papers. Um, we're going to have a study on grace-based worship. Grace-based worship. Okay, there's quite a few things I've, I've written out and then there's quite a few scriptures we're going to go to, um, but I know we're okay with that. So, like I said, what is the one thing you want to see in our worship? We must have this expectation. What is missing, and what would you be content with in 12 months' time if we saw? Thank you for bringing the tissues closer. You guys know how I am. Um, what are we looking for? What are you expecting? And if you're not, why not? Is it because it has become a bit boring, a bit samey, same kind of cause, same kind of experiences? Are we quiet and we just go home and nothing has changed for two years? I've been worshipping every week diligently and yet I don't see any change. So maybe that caused us to fall out of love with these moments. Okay. So where are we? Let's take a really macro look at things. Let's look, look at things on a, on a global not actually, maybe not global sense, but especially looking at Western Christianity. Okay, this is something I wrote recently. It, it is a sad truth of Western Christianity that many of us were raised under the stewardship of a legalistic ethos which sought to minimize our soul dependency on Christ. And so over time, we've spent time adding layer upon layer of self effort, and as a consequence, built monolithic church structures which over time have valued pulpit and personality over presence. In the house of the Lord, unfortunately, two gospels were being preached. And the fight for our attention has been fierce. While two were being preached, only one contains the true freedom promised to us in Christ. Freedom is not a life without rules. Freedom is a life of total surrender to the promptings and guiding of Holy Spirit, with the sole aim of bringing glory to the Father and Son. And the gospel that brings freedom 
is the one that will be preached and lived out here at Commonwealth Church. I'm going to say that again. The gospel that brings freedom is the one, with a capital O, that will be preached and lived out here at Commonwealth Church. And it contains the only power to truly save and bring to bear every promise of the scripture. Today we'll look at how our worship can and should remain true to the gospel of grace and bring freedom to all involved. I'm going to take your mind back to November 27th. I think that was the last time I shared. I um, shared a sermon, Embracing the Uncommon. Auntie Abby men uh, mentioned it last week. And something happened at the end of the service. Something beautiful, something special, something unforgettable. We were trying to end the service, which had already gone on way beyond usual. And the only way we can describe it, it was a, a weighty glory hit the room, which caused us all to stop. Some were on their knees, some were crying, some were just still. No one knew what to do, but everyone said yes to this moment. It took us a bit of time to work out what to do next, what to say, who should say, who should be on the mic at that moment. What do you say? What do you do? Do you read a psalm? Do you pray? Do you pray in tongues? Do you pray in English? Pray in Japanese? What, what do we do in this moment right now? How do we honor that which has showed up in our midst, which is of so much, it was so delicate, so holy, and we knew it, and we wanted to engage, and yet you had that tremor in your spirit, like, I don't want to get it wrong. I remember the first time I experienced that. Um, I don't know if it was at Commonwealth. I think I might have been 15, 16 years old at St. Mark's in Mayfair. And the Holy Spirit just <laughs> ran through the building, silent, just bang, everyone out on their faces. And I'm at the keyboard, little 15-year-old me. And I remember Emmanuel was leading. And i never forget this. You know, he came up off the floor and he turned to me and he said, Play. And I was like, what do I play now? <laughs> I was like, you left me hanging, brother. <laughs> like, me. Like, the next sound is just a, a note from you. I'll never forget having to learn how to navigate those special and priceless moments. If you remember on that day, when this all happened, there were different things. I'm not going to go into the detail of everything that happened in that service. But I remember sharing with, as we kind of brought it to an end, the promise that God gave me in 2018 when I um, took the role as a worship pastor for this church. And he said to me, he said, there is a measure of presence that I wish to deposit that you guys will walk in. And I said, okay, I'm going to tell everyone. He said, no. Okay, I'm going to tell the worship team. He said, no said, this is for you to pray into. I prayed into it for maybe two years before he released me to talk about it. I then shared it with the worship team, I think the musicians first, during the pandemic. So we had no building, had no services, and yet I'm talking about a measure of presence showing up and hitting the room. And then he released me to start mentioning it in worship, and I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times. And on that day, as we were waiting for instruction to know what to do, he said, this is it. This is what I was talking about all these years. So after four years, we finally had a taste, and I say that because it will make sense in a moment, the taste of 
what he had promised. And I don't mean to, it's not me patting myself on the back to say, oh, he told me before everyone else. We've been talking about this for 30, 40 years with regards to this church community. Measures of presence. And I believe things come in waves, things come in eras, and I believe we're at the beginning of a new one. And so we had this moment because we collectively said yes. It wasn't the worship team pulling everyone into something. It wasn't pastor running ahead in faith and all of us on their coattails. It was every single person, man, woman, and child saying, whatever the inconvenience, yes. Okay? And that's where we always should have been, but maybe we haven't been. But that's okay. God's still working on us. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's still working on us. So here we go. When Holy Spirit showed up with his glory on November 27th, as we collectively said yes in our hearts to embracing the uncommon, when his divine stillness hit the room and we responded by entering into rest, it was a sign that the times had shifted. I said it then and I say it now. He promised us that there would be a measure of presence we would walk in unlike any other. Those are the exact words. There's a measure of presence you will walk in unlike any other. And that was our first encounter with the promise made manifest. So I can boldly say on the 27th of November 2022, we witnessed the birthing of Isaac in our midst. And now we must fully submit to the leading of the Spirit. Can you believe that that which would take decades in our own strength can maybe be accomplished in 10 months? Now is the time to believe. Now is the time to, ex to set your expectation. And let me tell you something. You must not set your expectation based on the strength of Ishmael, but based on the smile of Isaac. Do not base your expectation on the strength of of Ishmael and on the smile of Isaac. Remember what I said, the very fact that Isaac would look at his mum and see her creaking up, well, they didn't have stairs in those days, creaking around from tent to tent, that's all Isaac had to know to know he was special. All he had to do is look at the wrinkles on Sarah's face and he would know there's something different. That's all he needed to do. We must not set our expectation on the strength of Ishmael, but rather the laughing smile of Isaac, who by very definition of his miraculous birth, reveals to us that all is well, all is grace, we are beloved. So here we are. Okay, Colossians 2, 6 to 8, and it says, As you have therefore received Christ, even Jesus the Lord, so walk, Regulate your lives and conduct yourselves in union and with and conformity to him. Have the roots of your being firmly and deeply planted in him, fixed and founded in him, being continually built up in him, becoming increasingly more confirmed and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and abounding and overflowing in it with thanksgiving. See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his so-called philosophy and intellectualism, and vain deceit, idle fancies, and plain nonsense. Following human tradition, men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world, just crude notions, following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe, and disregarding the teachings of Christ, the Messiah. 
See to it. That's active. It's not passive. You need to see to it. You need to make sure that in all things relating to Christ, you're not carried off with these vain ideologies. And there will be more popping up in, you know, inside and outside the church over the years as we hurtle towards the end of times. <laughs> there will be more foolishness pop up that will be challenged to sift through to find where truth is. But only when we do that are we able to safely say that we are now patterning our lives in the same way we receive Christ. How do we receive Christ? Ephesians 2 talks about by grace through faith. Faith through grace. Whichever way around it is. By grace and faith. The two of them in partnership. Okay, We believe in that which has been done for us, the goodness of God revealed as seen at Golgotha. Okay, So we have received Christ not of our, not in, nothing to do with our own works. And yet we built these church experiences that were all about our own works. And so over time, hundreds of years, Christ was sidelined from the church experience and only had to show up at revival weekend or maybe convocation weekend because Monday to Sunday we were doing all these man-made self-effort things to reinvent that which we should have just received. Similarly, in our worship experience, and I'm not here to tear down any church organization, not here to tear down any um, mode of expression. But what I do know for a fact, and even I've even had to come to a place of reckoning within our own worship team, is that there have been moments where we have veered into self-effort and sideline Christ. Where we have placed more faith in personnel than presence. Where we would walk in and say, who's on today? Cool, we're going to have a good service. And if we didn't see that, our expectations were set lower. And so what did God do? He humbled us. There has been a journey of humbling in the worship team. Through loss and isolation. When I first took over, within six months, some individuals were like, yeah, I'm moving on. What? <laughs> so how are we going to do this if you're going? Even within myself. I had to reckon with them. Why was my faith in that person's pen as opposed to the divine? Why did I have more faith in that person's voice than the voice of the one who calms the thousand seas. Why? Because I got so used to allowing human effort to determine my Christian experience and so humbled through loss and isolation. You want a big sound? You want all of this? Here's YouTube, streaming, Zoom. Have church on Zoom. Humbled. You want to do this whole band thing? You won't see each other for six months. Humbled. Isolation. The thing is with, with people leaving the team, I, I have, I've learned to have no issue with it because God told me, and when I went to him, I said, Lord, okay, right, it's one, two, three, four. He said, the song has changed. And if the song changes and someone is now singing a different song, I want you all to be on the same song sheet. 
he was talking to me in music terms, you understand? Because sometimes I have to get through my thick brain, you know. So he said to me, he said, look, stop worrying about who's here and who isn't here. It's about who's in sync with your song. Because if, you, if two are together, that's all I need. As long as one other person is in sync with your song, we're good. So I stopped counting numbers and just started to figure it out. We started to figure it out. And as a community, we see in our prayer times, you know, I used to kind of look online and say, oh, there's only four of us praying. Oh, my gosh, man. But then you realize four is actually half of us. So actually, we're doing good compared to most churches. <laughs> okay, we've got half the worship team on this call. There's only four, but it's half the worship team. You know, and God started to redefine how I saw things in terms of numbers and, and, and what was coming out on a Sunday. That it's actually okay just to have two or maybe four or five. Okay, yeah, last, you know, four years ago we had ten. But that wasn't what defined our experience. And if it did, we were wrong. If we were saying it was great because one, two, three, four, five, plus the trumpets, plus the shofar, plus this, then we were wrong. And I say that as the worship pastor, we were wrong. If we based our expectation of worship and his presence being here based on numbers, personnel, anything, if I don't play the keys, he will still show up. I hope you guys know that. Now, I know when I play keys, he shows up, and I'm, I'm very much leaning into that. But if I'm not here, it's okay. You can turn to your name and say, it's okay today. I know David's not here today. I know you turned up late. But it's okay. Now, yes, we respect and we honor different people and their anointings and the way they flow and... and there's all space for that. But even that can become an idol. So now, after this humbling, through loss and isolation, the platform has been set to embrace the unexpected and the uncommon because what it has done is place more emphasis, whether you knew it or not, on the congregation. Because we don't have ten voices anymore. So you guys can have to sing. We may not have the breadth of sound anymore, so you guys are going to have to help us out. And everyone came back from isolation and started coming back with their own song. Some was a song of healing. Some was a song of restoration. Some was a song of forgiveness. And what God is now starting to do is starting to weave those songs into what we call a symphony. If you ever go to listen to an orchestra play. We went to the Nutcracker just recently uh, for Denise's birthday. Incredible show. I prefer the second half more than the first, but incredible show. The sounds coming from that orchestra, you can listen to one instrument and it will take you on a journey. You then tune into another instrument, maybe it's the bassoon, and it takes you on this journey. And then the cello. But they're all playing at the same time. All talking about a different journey. One is going low when the other's going high. But never once do you think it's discord. Never once do you, does it disrupt you. You walk away from the low and the high being mixed together, the, the sharp and the flat and all this stuff. You walk away going, that was beautiful. So it is with us and our worship. I remember having this picture of Holy Spirit 
hovering over the worship. And this song's going up, this song, and he's catching all the melodies, weaving them all together and throwing them to heaven. And he showed me that in a worship service, you know, it's not one song that gets lifted, it's multiple that he then weaves into one and presents it as a sacrifice to Father. He says, I've got Mark's story, I've got Jonathan's story, I've got Mike's story, I've got Sarah's story, all, all in song. Because when they sang that chorus, one person was singing it as someone who'd lost their job a few days before, the other one was singing it as someone who'd got a promotion at work. But both was an expression of faith. Because one was saying, thank you. The other one was saying, I still trust you. Even as they said, Jesus, I love you. I love you more. That one line meant two different things. But faith was being released. And Holy Spirit says, I'll take that. And I'll take that. And then he presents it before the Father. So it's important for us that we ensure that we don't fall back into old habits. And I say this now before the explosion hits. I say this now before the numbers return. I say this before the band grows. Because it's important that we as a core, not just a worship team, but as a core congregation, understand these things. So that if anyone comes in with a different mindset, we say, no, we don't do that here. That's not how we do things. It's not, oh, that, that David guy, he's not here. You know, I, kept, I, I met David at you know, such and such festival and he, you know, I came down. Is he not on today? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Welcome to the house of God. There we go. Because trust me, if you had two choices of a dinner date, David would come a distant second to Jesus. Because I would run out of stuff to talk about after about 10 minutes. I guarantee you this, Jesus would have a lot more interest, interesting things for you to discuss. So now we step into Romans 7. Okay, and this is where the title Divorce Papers, Divorce Court came from. Romans 7 verse 1, it says, Or do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction to rule over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman, as an example, is bound and remains bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released and exempt from the law concerning her husband. Accordingly, she will be designated as an adulteress if she unites herself to another man while her husband is alive. If her husband dies, she is free from the law regarding marriage, so that she is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Therefore, my fellow believers, you too died to the law through the crucified body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. To him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. When we were living in the flesh, trapped by sin, the sinful passions, which were awakened by that which the law identifies as sin, were at work in our body to bear fruit for death, since the willingness to sin led to death and separation from God. But now we have been released from the law and its penalty, having died through Christ to that which, by which we were held captive, so that we serve God in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter of the law. A lot was said there. We can stay in Romans 7 probably for the next 20 weeks 
what are we pulling out from this? One thing that struck me when I read this again for the umpteenth time this morning is this idea that it's possible to bear fruit for death. It says it here that, uh, was it verse 5? When we were living in the flesh, we were bearing fruit for death. When our worship was out of the flesh, we were bearing forth fruit for death. Sobering, isn't it? Humbling, isn't it? To think that we would have all these experiences that we thought were touching the hem of his garment. And the Holy Spirit would be like, that wasn't me, son. Your attitude before that. Mm. The issue that you had with your spouse. It's not, it's not me. It's sobering to think, and I'm not saying this to inspire any sort of condemnation or fear, but just to provide the perspective that we must, like it said, we must set ourselves to be aware of these things and catch them when it happens. Catch the fear when you say, when you look at, when you walk in and you go, oh, it's just, catch it and say, no, that doesn't matter. I'm here, Jesus is here, that's enough. Because these things will come. These ideas will come. You just have to catch it. And you have to be aware of it so that you can catch it. We have to divorce ourselves from any scent of legalism in our worship. Any and every notion, thought, idea, it will take time for some of us, easier than others. Some of us have 20 years worth of exper church experience, or as I say, churchianity, that we have to divorce ourselves from and keep cutting off and keep cutting off and keep hacking and keep hacking and keep hacking. There are oak trees that have been, um, yeah, let's call it oak trees of self-righteousness that, that have grown in our hearts with regards to worship, with regards to our prayer life, with regards to our family, whatever. And we need to take a divine axe and just go boom, boom, boom to find the fruit and kill it. Find the offspring, find the Ishmael, kick it out. Because we have a promise. There's a measure of presence that I intend for you to carry. That promise has nothing to do with your efforts. It has nothing to do with who's the worship pastor. It has nothing to do with who's on keys. Nothing to do with who's writing songs. There is a measure of presence I intend for you to carry. That's the promise. And in a similar fashion to that which Abraham was promised through Isaac. And as we learned over uh, last year when I, I shared on the tale of two sons, Isaac and Ishmael can't coexist. Okay? The promise and the law, okay, must Divorce. Don't try and mix it. With certain cocktails, they're not good for you. I just set someone free there. <laughs> I mean, you already do that, didn't you? <laughs> the headache told you before I told you. Anyway, anyway. Certain mixes, you don't need it in your life. And let me tell you something. Ishmael and Isaac, 
They don't get on. So let's go. Let's make a decision collectively. With regards to our worship specifically, no more Ishmael. Um, let's turn to Galatians 4, uh, 28. And we're actually going to go all the way to 5 and 1. Galatians 4. We could read the whole of Galatians 4, really, for context. <coughs> it says here, but we, brethren, are children not by physical descent, as was Ishmael, but like Isaac, born in virtue of promise. 4.29 says, yet just as, that, just as at that time the child of ordinary birth, born according to the flesh, despised and persecuted him who was born remarkably, according to the promise and the working of the Holy Spirit, so it is now also. Let me just pause there. It says the child of the flesh, the legalism, right, it literally makes a habit of persecuting that which is of grace. So those thoughts rise up in our heart, not because they are of any truth, but because they know what grace represents. Because to see Isaac show up, on the loins of Sarah, when Ishmael's there looking at Hagar, his mother who's young and whatever, to see this happen is a threat. I'm sure Ishmael growing up in that custom would have been aware of um, lineage, inheritance. And so out of fear for the inheritance that grace brings, the law persecutes. So knowing that which we are about to step into, if any time there is, if there were to be any time where the, the, the battle is fierce, it's now. Because Isaac is now here. We experienced it November 27th. I'm telling you, that was it. That was the birthing. Something beyond where we've been before. Wow, finally we're here. Now we need to raise Isaac. Now we need to steward this, this worship experience. Now we need to, okay, so we've got Eden sessions. That's great. What do we do with that? How do we do this? And oh, now we're upstairs. How do we still facilitate him showing up in that same manner, if not more intense? If any point there would be the persecution gets even worse, it's now. This is when Ishmael starts to talk. When there was no Isaac, he didn't persecute, didn't mock. He was silent. He was mute. He was just in the back chilling. Because for him, he was the only one in the house. But as soon as, as soon as the true heir shows up, all of a sudden he starts yapping his mouth. Excuse the colloquialism, but you guys understand what I'm saying. All of a sudden, he's got something to say. We ain't heard from you in a good 8, 13, 14 years, Ishmael, if you know the story. You were born and you were raised. That's all we knew. And now you want to start talking. Because laughter is in the house. Because joy is in the house. Because grace is in the house. Healing's in the house. People are getting testimonies, breakthroughs, left, right, and center, in and through the worship. All of a sudden, that person who was just on the back row silently just taking it all in is now starting to show up and say, I've got a word from the Lord. 
And now all of a sudden, the legalism shows up and says, you, really? But Grace says, yeah, let her come. Grace says, let him speak. Grace says, even if it creates a mess, we'll clear it up after. Remember Jesus? Sends out his disciples. They go out, come back, full of all this, like, stories. Yo, I did this. I cast out this demon. That. Just a minute later, they're now talking about, yo, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? Now they're on a power trip. Of course, because you just gave 12 men the power to do some incredible things. Yo, Jesus, who's going to be sitting next to you? Personally, I think I had 10. I know Peter only had like nine. So they start having this debate. Jesus doesn't shut down the debate. He reframes the debate. He says, oh, you want to know what greatness looks like? (laughs) Look here. See this child. So now he redefines greatness. And then you know what he does? The very next chapter sends out more. He then anoints, preaches, prays over another 70 or whatever it is. You guys go. Learn the same lesson the 12 just did. Because he's not afraid of getting in the mud. You know that from the story of Christ in, in, by default. He's not afraid of getting in the mud and saying, I don't care even if you mess up. You'll make mistakes. You'll go somewhere where I'm not, but it's fine. Because even if you made your bed in the gates of hell, I'll come, I'll find you. I always share the story about me playing drums. I've never had a drum lesson in my life. I learned to play drums on the back of crisp box boxes. I have those big Walker's crisp boxes. Had them in the house. Two combs, bang, 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 bang. That's how I learned to play drums. And then my next lesson was in the car. We'd go somewhere, I'd be listening to a song, and I'd be tapping it on my legs. So everything's just ideas. So for me, when I play drums, I really enjoy it because it's the one time I don't have any human effort to rely on. I don't have a degree like I do in my keys. I don't have a 20-year history, I think it's 20 years now this year, of playing in church that I can call back on and rely on to get me through tough moments. It is complete faith. I'm just hitting things and it makes sense. All right, cool. We're going, we're going, we're going, we're going. I remember when I first started playing drums, I would have an idea in my head. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that drum roll right now. This is going to work. Oh, my gosh. This is the one. Next time we come around the bridge, yo, 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 one more time. And I'd do the drum roll. And the Holy Spirit would say, son, that wasn't me. And I'd go, oh, sorry. Then another time he would say, hit the symbol. That was me. What did that do? Just prove that you're listening. Okay, and I'm literally flying by the seat of my pants. I'm just going. Because I learned to trust him. And I still, to this day, it happened at um, Marlboro one time. I did, I went to a different beat, and he said, son, this is not me. Now, if you've judged it based on the reaction in the congregation, you'd have thought it was him. Because people were going wild and people were celebrating the, whatever was happening on the stage. But I knew I'd gone left when he was going right. So, okay, no condemnation. Just get back in the group. Just find him. Same thing on the piano. I'm playing. <laughs> Bang. Son, that's not me. Yeah, but look what happened at the back. 
Someone should just raise their hand. Yeah, but that's that wasn't me. That chord you just played wasn't me. That sound you just picked wasn't me. That song you just moved to wasn't me. Too early. Should have waited. I had more to do. I was still talking to Cynthia. I was giving her something, but you just interrupted my flow. These are the conversations I have during worship, just in case you didn't know. Pure imagination. Willy Wonka. Right? I'm on stage with Lucy Grimble. David's tent, my first year there. Incredible scenes. I don't know what, four or five thousand people there. Great, cool. We're in the key of D. Okay, Willy Wonka, Pure Imagination, one of my favourite songs from you know the film. I don't know when the film came out. No months? I don't know what years ago. And um we're in this open moment of worship. And Lucy's got her hand down like this. And the Holy Spirit says, <laughs> play pure imagination. I was like, no, <laughs> I am not doing that. Do you not know where we are? Like, <laughs> I was like, there's too many people watching. Uh, no, 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 no. Play pure imagination. And I hear, I hear this, I know it in that key. It was perfect. I learned it in that key. Ding, ding, ding. So I then said to him, when there's my Gideon moment, I said, if Lucy doesn't sing, I'll play. He said, okay. So she went like this. Get the mic. <laughs> Lifted it to her mouth and then put it down. And he was like, so you're going to play it then? The fleece is wet. <laughs> Jeez, fleece is wet. <laughs> I thought I'd catch him on this one. So, started playing it. And I remember when I hit the top note, the cameraman stumbled under the power of God. I know there's, there's a few, th loads happened. But these, a few things I remember seeing, I went, do, do, boom, it's an A. And the guy went, oh, Boom, boom, boom. Do, 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 do. And one by one across the tent, people just falling. People screaming, weeping, hands going up, people going down. Just stuff. So me, I went, okay, I'm, I'm not looking because this is <laughs> wild. So I keep playing. And the only way I can describe it is like I felt the power like leave the keyboard and go. <laughs> line after line, melody after melody. It was so strong, I couldn't, I think I couldn't speak for about an hour after we came on stage. I was shaking, like, and when we were praying after, I remember I had these two American guys, was six, seven, six, eight, two brothers, right, from the Midwest, and they were praying for us, and they literally had to hold me up, I was just shaking, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, what just happened, and in my head, I'm trying to make sense of it, 
it doesn't make sense. I'm like, what has just moved through my hands, through this keyboard, and hit this tent? And then Tunde, what you guys remember Tunde? He's like, dude, let's go sit down. And we sat for half an hour, and I'm going. <laughs> he didn't say a word, just waited. And when I got some food, came back. I remember Sean Foyt walks by, Jason Upton walked by, and he was like, hey, dude, that was incredible. I'm like, Jason Upton. <laughs> but I can't talk. <laughs> and then it lifted. So I went, bruv, I'm hungry. He goes, cool, let's get some food. The next day, no, later on that day, again, I'm so self-conscious about what's just happened. I put my cap on, hood up, and I'm just walking through the different areas of the field. And people are stopping me. Hey, are you the Willy Wonka guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> hey, dude, when you, when you, yo, that was, yo, when you played that, God, re, God took me back to when I was five and this thing happened in my life and I had to go over it. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people over the next number of years come up to me about that moment. They said the, the common theme in the whole thing was you'd reawakened child, childlike faith. Why? Because you played a song from my childhood. And it just made me feel good. That's not in the script. <laughs> That's not in Leviticus. I never saw that in numbers. Go from front to back. Moses didn't tell us about this one. But spirit says, play through imagination. Okay. So the next time I play something wild, I want all of you to realize it was a plan. No. <laughs> so we're here in this moment where I didn't get past 29, did I? Um, 30. Verse 30. What does the scripture say? Cast out and send away the slave woman for her and her son. For never shall the son of the slave woman be heir and share the inheritance with the son of the free woman. So brethren, we who are born again are not children of a slave woman, the natural, but of the free, the supernatural. And then verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Incredible. In this freedom, Christ has made us free. What freedom are we talking about? The freedom that comes when Ishmael is removed from the picture. We adopt the position of the heir. Okay. I wish we had time to get into the Greek. It's incredible. Then there's a freedom that's released. And in this freedom, Christ has made us free. He's completely liberated us. The double whammy. Right? You might have thought you were free. He's going to come and make sure you're free. So stand fast then and do not be hampered and held ensnared and submit again to a yoke of slavery which you have once put off. These warnings and these statements wouldn't be in the scripture if it wasn't possible to submit again to a yoke of slavery. He wouldn't tell you to not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So it's possible to be Isaac in the midst of the fullness and the freeness of grace and yet still allow yourself to be enslaved. Turn to your neighbor and say, not here. Not here. 
like I said, the promise and the law must divorce. A worship which is free, let's go to John 2.19. We're going to just quickly just jump onto some of these scriptures. This is Jesus talking in literally one sentence. We all know this sentence. Jesus answered them to destroy, undo this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. Why? Even Jesus realized, right? Not even Jesus. Jesus knew and wanted to communicate to us that that which is of old had to be redone. So if Jesus is remodeling his house, why would we stop him? He came and he said, in three days, I'm going to completely destroy this and rebuild the tabernacle, rebuild the temple, rebuild the place of meeting. Now, we know from Scripture, Matthew 27, verse 50, 51, the veil in the temple is torn in two, that he, re he rebuilt the tabernacle in our hearts. A worship which is free from legalism builds a tabernacle in the image of Jesus and not Moses. That's why I love that Elder Abby spoke on Moses last week. And I'm sure as she was speaking, some of our minds were blown and like, wow, imagine that happening. Exodus 33, show me your glory. He hides you and he does this. He parades himself in front of you. And even that's not good enough. Jesus said, what Moses had is not enough for you. I've got something even more special. A worship that is beyond the tabernacle. And the interesting thing is, as he pointed to those stones, I can imagine the Jewish audience would have been like, this is one of the most beautiful things we've ever seen. Solomon's temple first, Herod's temple second. Worldwide fame about this building. This place of habitation for Yahweh himself. The high priest with all their gold and the rubies and the incense. All the things they built up over thousands and thousands of years of tradition. And Jesus pointed at that and said, I'm going to tear it down. All the years of tradition that we built up here at CCF. Are we okay if God says, I'm going to tear it down? So that I might rebuild. See, that's the thing with, with Jesus. He doesn't give you empty or half-cooked promises. But most of the time, we stay in the shock of the opening sentence and we forget the fulfillment of the end. The shock of, I'm going to tear all that down. I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to downscale this. I'm going to move you guys upstairs. You're not going to have a building for however long. This is going to happen. You're going to get kicked out. You're going to be homeless. You're going to have this. All these labels attached to you. People will say that you're failing. People will mock you. People maybe even say, you still at that church? Mm, yeah, okay, cool. All those conversations, some of you have had those conversations. <laughs> yeah, that was the Holy Spirit. Right? And they're mocking, they're saying this, they're saying that your Christian friends, I'm praying for you guys. They're not praying for us. We know that they're saying, mm, gosh, you better leave. And then one of the biggest churches in the world moves in underneath. And you have to walk past that every single week. Let's be real. I don't have a home. I found something. And then the big boys came in. Oh, gosh, now I'm upstairs. Oh, hi. I'm going up. Yeah, third floor, third floor. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we give it, but we give it that title to give ourselves a set. Yeah, it's the upper room, isn't it? Yeah, let's go super spiritual. But in our flesh, we're going, that one hurt. Because we had something, but that hurt. Even that was taken away. So that I might rebuild. So that I might rebuild. Because if your faith was in the fact that we had chairs that were coming out from the back, that was pretty cool. Oh, this feels like church again. If your faith was because we had a massive stage and we had lights and we could have done this, if that was why your faith, you're like, yeah, we're back now. Then he's like, I'll take that away. Because I cannot allow you to believe in anything but me. It has to be me. It can't, it can't be any, anything else. Don't mix. You're foolish. Who has bewitched you? <laughs> Don't allow it. It's not about how many guitars we can have, even though I'd love to have four or five, and one day we will. But when we have that, we can say, that was good, but do you remember in that upper room? So when he showed up? Remember when so-and-so got the house? And we rejoiced all, all morning. Remember when we celebrated so-and-so get out of the wheelchair? It was a pain to get them up to the third floor in the wheelchair. But they walked down. Do you remember? This is all well and good, but <laughs> you guys. It's when, it's when the new members start coming in. And we've got stories for days to tell them. See, you've only known the blessing. We've known the journey. Yeah, we celebrate having the big bad and the lights and all that stuff and the stage and the building, our, our new home. We celebrate all of that, but we also remember the sweetness of when it was just they. And he would show up and give one, two, three, ten of us would have prophetic words. And we'd be in this sweet moment of, of Selah. If I can rebuild the image, the temple in the image of Christ, that's what he wants to do. Mark 10, 17, we're not going to read the whole story. There's a story of the rich young ruler. And I'm going to just, we don't, I'm not going to read it because I'm sure some of you know the narrative. You have a situation here where Jesus is, is, is stopped by this young man who says, now what can I do to inherit eternal life? What was, what was Jesus' response? Go and sell everything. Is it? Is that what he said? Because most of us know that story is go and sell everything. First he says, why call me good? Why call me good? He says, good teacher. Why call me good? Only God is good. So are we having this conversation? Are you Okay, cool. Then he goes and talks about the Ten Commandments. He stays up, he starts at Moses. He says, this is that standard. And then the young man says, I've done all that since my youth. And the Bible says that Jesus looked upon him and loved him. Right? Um, let's go to 19. Oh, sorry, no, 21 is good. 20. Brother, you're in the spirit. <laughs> and Jesus, look at, listen, we're here. Pure imagination. Um, and Jesus, looking upon him, loved him. And he said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give it the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. 
Then there's a bit of punctuation. Most of us have probably heard the story that the challenge was, would he sell everything? There's more. He said, and come and accompany me. Walk in the same road that I walk. Some Bible scholars believe that this was an invitation for the rich young man to replace Judas. Be number 13 for a while. Walk with me, because something's about to happen. And I'm going to need 12. The invitation wasn't just about giving everything away. The invitation was intimacy. Because legalism pursues relationship through a series of rules and regulations. That's the first part. That's the Moses. Grace pursues relationship through face-to-face encounter. Jesus was like, come, walk the same road that I walk. Be with me at all times. Because that's the answer to your question. How can I inherit eternal? Be here with me, one. Union over uniformity. I'm, I'm not here, we're not here, to have every member of the worship team and congregation worship the same way. That's not the aim. The aim is not uniformity, where everything sounds the same. Where, trust me, I write songs, my sister writes songs, they're different. But when you hear that second song that she sang today, and you hear the, it made me stand up, it was so good. <laughs> like, wow, just respect the songwriting. Beautiful, the melodies and the crafting and that chord, it caught me off guard and my dad knew it was coming, so he looked at me waiting. <laughs> he, cheeky. He did, he did give me a heads up. And, it, and I was like, oh my God, because I, I didn't expect that was going to happen. I would have done that. Okay. Because she writes a different way to I do. I write a different way to Denise, who writes differently to Jen. I apologized to Jen one time. I phoned her. I said, I apologize because we've been trying to force you to sing our songs. How about I write a song for you that matches your voice, that matches your style? Because I was trying to make that gift look like all the others. But Peter, James, and John were three different people. And yet still got chosen. So if Jesus can walk around with 12 ragtags, the worship team aren't ragtags, why can't we accept difference because what he's pushing us towards is not uniformity where everyone looks the same. It's union where everyone sings the same song. That what comes out is this heart of worship, grace-based worship, where we divorce ourselves from what things look like, what they sound like, all that all the packaging of mankind. And we turn around and we say, if only, as long as it's Jesus, we're good. And if it's not him, we're not interested. If your presence be not with us, we won't go. When the invitation comes for us to move from here, which I believe will be soon, when it comes, let that be our response. Father, if your presence be not with us, we're not moving. We'll stay in that upper room. We'll move the chairs if we need to fit more people in. We'll sit cross-legged. We'll have an have a overflow. We'll do whatever we need to do. We'll take three, four rooms... Floor three, four, five, six. We'll keep going up. Because if it means that we keep you, we're good with that. We're good with that. Can you go back to the PowerPoint real quick? Because I've just got a few more things I want to. 
taking a long walk. <clears throat> what is to come? See, the core truth of grace-based worship is the continual revelation of the goodness of God. Now, these are my last four points. It is the continual um, revelation of the goodness of God. Now, as a worship team, we, I felt in my heart that the Lord wanted us to take communion more as a team. So we took communion in our first session, first prayer session a couple of weeks ago. And it was beautiful, nice, whatever. And then this past Monday, we're just praying. It wasn't even on the agenda. And Bola just says, guys, we need to take communion. Now, most people would assume, right, we've got the communion stuff. Right, Dave, where are we going? Bola, can you lead us? She led us through a completely different path, but we ended up at the same place. Place for remembrance, sensitivity, understanding. Now, we may end up doing it every week. But even that, I'm not settling in going, right, well, we've done it two weeks in a row, we must do it the third week. No. If he says wait and do it in February, do it in February. It's okay. Like, Jesus is still alive. He said, do this in remembrance of me. You started a pattern now. Everyone's going to get used to it. And, and look what happened when you did it the first time. Someone got healed. So why wouldn't you do it the next time? Because it might not be his plan. He might want us just to sit. He might want us just to share testimonies for a whole hour. All right, guys, thank you. Thank you for coming on the prayer call. We haven't prayed. Yes, we have. It's fine. We'll figure it out later. It's this revelation of the goodness of God. And so having the, the cross and the empty tomb at the core of our worship set ourselves a challenge. Can we write more songs that are blatant about the story of Jesus and the name of Jesus? Not just talking about him in abstract ways. That's good, and that has a place. But can we really be blatant? This is who he is, this is what he did, and we're not ashamed of a bloody gospel. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're going to sing it. We're going to dance. We're going to twirl. We're going to kneel. We're going to cry. We're going to scream. We're going to laugh. Not ashamed. And it has to be continual. It can't just be, that's what he told us in January, and we're feeding off the scraps in May. Don't let the manna spoil. Nature abhors a vacuum. Okay, Leaving legalism behind is effective to the extent we allow Holy Spirit to take control. Because we can leave legalism and end up in lawless. Because we just have this space and we don't really follow Holy Spirit. We're just like, oh, what we're doing, what we're doing. No. We must now tune our ears to hear the wind. Now if you go in that direction, right, we're here. And then we're there. And then we're there. And then we're here. Where did he take us? Where are we going next, Captain? Okay, we'll go there. And testimonies this week. Healing the next week. Prosperity the week after that. Financial prosperity. I'm talking about money. The week after that. And then we're back here. The release of prophetic song and activity must be of God's direction and not human force. Very easy, especially in a church like this where we talk about the new sound and all these great Christianese phrases. 
to force the prophetic. Right? Now, there is a time and place where you have to take authority and say, I'm going to play and I'll play until I find him. And sometimes that happens. But I'm saying this, not just for us as a worship team, but for as a worship church, that we must be, okay, Lord, is this you? Okay. And we don't just jump on the mic for, for whatever reason. We don't just play a chord for whatever. We, we do all these things because it's of his leading. Like I said to you, it's possible to do a massive drum roll and the whole church goes crazy and celebrates you and then not be God. I've been there. But it's also possible, I remember when this happened, to be playing a song at one Marlebone. I was on drums, Dad was on bass. And I heard angels playing in a string orchestra behind us. And it was so, like, clear. I remember going twice. And I looked at my dad and I was like, great. Who knows? Who knows why? I don't know. It's not for me to even really know why. But they showed up. I didn't see them. No one came up to me in the end, though. You know, sometimes they say a child will see it and they go, oh, there's an angel standing behind you. No, there's no confirmation of that. I don't think I've even told the story before. But it happened. We were all worshipping and there was a string orchestra from heaven and I heard it. And I looked back and it was the most beautiful accompaniment to what we were doing. Great. Cool. See you next week. And finally, and we know this from Luke, don't we? Luke one thirty-five. Whatever Holy Spirit overshadows, falls pregnant with purpose. Right? Mary said to Gabriel, "How how would this be? Seeing that I've not been with any man." He says, "The Holy Spirit shall overshadow." So if we kick out Ishmael. Look, find ways to steward and raise Isaac in our midst. Holy Spirit overshadows. And then we fall pregnant. And when we fall pregnant, we then birth fruit. So that's how healing starts breaking out. That's how deliverance starts breaking out. All the things I asked you guys to write at the beginning, the things that you want to see, they will come when the Holy Spirit overshadows us as a congregation, please do not fall into the trap of thinking it is just going to be the eight to ten people at the front. It's not that way anymore. And I won't allow it to be. Seriously. Please hear, hear my heart. I will not allow us to go back to that. Where we put so much emphasis and pressure on those guys because they have the instruments, they have the sound, they have this. Take me somewhere. No. We are going somewhere. This is what worship looks like. It's all of us involved. Every single one of us bringing our song, bringing our testimony, bringing our crown, laying it down and saying, here, and letting Holy Spirit overshadow that. And then we fall pregnant. Ray Hughes says this, a songwriter holds the promise of future generations. A songwriter holds the promise for future generations. I could communicate something in a sermon. You'll probably memorize it more if I sang it in a song. 
you probably remember it more. You may not have sung the song for 30 years. It starts playing on the keyboard and you go, oh, I remember that. Wow. What's that song say again? Blessed assurance. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about that before. But the song carries the promise from generation to generation. And this country is steeped historically with great songwriters. And the challenge for the songwriters of this nation has been to encapsulate the sermons of the Wesleys and whatever and translate them into song so that 400 years down the line, the guys at Commonwealth could hear the same message that we heard in Elephant and Castle at, what's it called, the big church there, Tabernacle. Those messages that were preached, what, what manuscript? There was no YouTube, no recording, but there's a song that was written the next day about what Charles has spoken about last night. And we sing it, not even knowing it was a sermon before it was a song. But the promise and the weight of that promise has been carried from generation to generation to generation. So when I walk in and little Sammy says, Dave, you want to sing some songs? It may sound annoying to you. Oh, it's always asked that every week. But it's because I know something that has impregnated that kid. And he knows there's a promise being communicated. And, he's in, and I've spoken to Tommy about this, and he's, he's literally just downloading it. And it's in there from generation to generation. We must have a multi generational consciousness when it comes to these things. It's not enough for you to worship just for the 40, 50 people that will be in the building. Think about those to come. You need to have a template of something different to the tabernacle of Moses. The pastor said it earlier. The presence of God is looking for somewhere to alight. Why not here? Why not here? Not just every Sunday. Here. Thick. Potent. Laced with possibility. That every time we come together, we exchange stories of his goodness. And then more goodness is released. You know why? Because he can't help himself. He didn't need the 12 baskets after he'd fed the 5,000. I mean, the story alone, just the 5,000 plus. Okay, let's be politically correct. There were, men and, there were women and children, so there's more than 5,000. Just feeding the masses itself is a good enough story. But then that last bit, and there was more. So who's ready to feast? So I said to Pastor yesterday, <coughs> I felt in my spirit earlier this week I was writing, there's, there's more that I need to share with certain individuals. And I'll share that in due time. That this is a commissioning. Okay, that we are to commission, be commissioned into formally accepting the invitation to walk in a measure of presence unlike any other. So if you could join me and just stand. Whether you've been in this church for 30 years or 30 minutes, you're as much a part of the story as even those that may not be with us anymore and 
We thank God for their service. We thank God for the pouring out that has happened year after year, service after service, the sacrifice, the commitment, the rehearsals, the the songs, the learning, the, the inconvenience that they went through to pull us to this point, even at, to the detriment of their own finances, health, whatever was given up. And we know that no one can give these things up for Christ and not receive it back a hundredfold in this life. But here we are, having been pulled to this point. Can we just raise our hands or just stretch forth your hands and just, just say yes. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Say yes. Jesus, we thank you for the invitation and we readily accept. We readily accept. Every sacrifice that is going to be asked of us, every inconvenience, we count it all joy. We know that that which we get in return is far greater than anything we can ever give up. And so if your presence is still looking for somewhere to inhabit, to alight, we're here. We're here. This is the place, if there be a place, where you can come and make it your home. And Father, it's no longer about what we can get from you the fact that we get you, that you're here. Yes, you come with blessing and healing and deliverance, and those are all great. But to see you face to face, so incredible. And so we place at, at our absolute center of our worship the revelation of your goodness and your love and we commit our lives and we commit the future of this church to investigating the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of this incredible love. The great, the wonderful and intense love with which you loved us. We receive it. We live beyond fear. We reject fear. We reject doubt. We reject condemnation. We thank you, Father, for the space to make mistakes for the forgiveness that you lavish over us and the faithfulness you lavish over us. Let your glory come. Let your glory come. Just pray in tongues for a little bit.
you, Father. Thank you, Father. Even the Lord just said, if even as I was sharing, there are there are members here who there are people here listening, and maybe listening on, on the podcast or whatever, who are like, Yes, I want to be involved. I'm involved. I'm I'm in. But you're looking at your basket and you're saying, But what do, what do I actually have? What is my song? What do I actually bring to the party? That's fine. That's what you're thinking. That's fine. But this time next week, when we finish our fast, you'll know. That's a promise from him. If you're in this room or listening to this and you're saying, I do not know what's in my past. I don't know what I can contribute to this because I, I know this one's going to bring this and I, I'm a bit, I'm just middling a bit in, in, in this moment. Treading water. Where can I push? What is my song to bring? What is my sacrifice to bring? But this time next week, you will know. So let that be the expectation as you're fasting, as you're praying, as you're... That by this time next week, it'll be clear, this is my part to play. Okay? So Father, we choose to celebrate you in a real, real way. We thank you for the upcoming week. Though it may be difficult, taxing, again, what we get in return to be close to you, to meet with you. Whether it be at six in the morning, six in the evening. When you show up, it's all worth it. So we give you praise, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 